On this episode, we talked to fellow Oakland Asian mom, Celia, about the journey and hopes of raising Asian American sons. The three of us have known each other for a long time, and this was a particularly meaningful conversation. Celia is the mother of three boys in high school and middle school. Cheryl has two in elementary school, and I, Sarah, have a preschooler. We talk about how our upbringing in Asian immigrant families has shaped how we parent, how living in the Bay Area helps to affirm and strengthen our son's identities, and about raising sons in both majority Asian schools and schools where they are the minority. We also talk about how important it is to help our sons develop a strong sense of self and pride in who they are to equip them as Asian American men. Make sure you listen to the full episode so you can know what Celia's Asian mom superpower is. It's a good one. Thank you for listening. are listening to the Oakland Asian Mom Podcast. Hi, everyone. We have another episode of Oakland Asian Mom, and today's guest is our friend and Cheryl's sister-in-law, Celia, who is the mother of three boys, and we are continuing our conversation about raising Asian American sons. Um, Celia is the expert on that, and Um, Cheryl and I also are raising Asian American sons. So we're just going to have a conversation about what it is to, or what it's like to um, be mothers to Asian American sons. So welcome to the podcast, Celia. Hi, thank you so much. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Sarah. So we have a question we ask all of our guests just to get to know a little bit about you. And the question is, how would you describe your ethnic and cultural roots? Where do you call home? How many kids do you have? And how would you describe your kids in terms of their ethnic and cultural roots? And because we're talking about um, our kids, we also wanted to know what your birth order is in your family of origin. Okay, so I am a second generation Chinese American. I was born in Taiwan and I immigrated to the United States when I was two years old. Um, where, where do I call home? Um, I think Oakland is my home. Um, I've been here since I graduated in 96. So it's been a long time, 20, 26 years. Um, it's the longest that I've been anywhere. Um, so Oakland is my home. Um, And I grew up in different parts of the country. My parents actually moved around quite a bit. I lived in suburbs of LA, um, in Atlanta, and in New York City. So those are the three main places that my family moved to. Uh, I have three boys, ages 11, 13, and 16. And my boys are Chinese Filipino. Um, my spouse is Filipino. And um, in terms of birth order, I am the second child. I have an older brother who is two years older than me. And I have a younger brother who is 11 years younger than me. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I don't think I realized your younger brother was 
that much younger. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, he's a lot younger. Um, in a lot of a lot of ways, I, I felt like I, I I raised him um, mm-hmm. when when he was little. Mm-hmm. He's like a full grown man now. Like, um, yeah, Celia's so my sister in law. She's been my sister in law for how many years? 20, 21, 21 years, right? Years in June. Wow. So when I first met Celia's younger brother, he was just in high school and I thought I was all grown because I was in college, but just recently we saw him during the holiday and he was talking about turning 40 in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, incredible. incredible. Yeah. I was like, Oh, you have to come back to the Bay, you know, have your 40th birthday party. It'll be fun. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I look at him, I go, he, he is like a grown man. So it's so, it's like, even though I've known him for a long time too, it's just still shocking to me. And he, he must think I'm so weird to, to say that because <laughs> I go, oh my God, you're so grown. It's so amazing. So mature. Well, I mean, well, I still call him my baby brother. So I mean, he's almost 40. He'll always be your baby brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's sort of how I think about your eldest son, Celia, who I met when he was like maybe two years old. And now he's, you said he's 15, right? He's 16. 16. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. Um, Cheryl, what about your um, birth order and your family of origin? What, where are yeah, you? Yeah. Where am I at? I am um, the second of two. I have an older brother and it's just the two of us. And as I thought about this very short question, it seems kind of simple, um, you know, you know, you know, that birth order really impacts sort of like the beginnings of your early childhood and kind of helps form your place in the world. Um, when I was doing <laughs> more soul searching about what does it mean to be, what does my family mean to me and all that, I realized that um, my mother and father, my mother was the oldest my father was the oldest son in his family and my brother is the oldest son in our family. So I I had a moment of feeling sorry for myself a little bit because (laughs) when you grow up with firstborns and olders, um, you kind of get tendency to be like um, swept aside, you know? Uh, Mm. It's not the case now because I feel like, you know, uh, age sort of, doesn't become a big thing anymore as you get older um, and you become your own individual person. But I'm like, hmm. So in those, in those moments when I was hashing it out with my therapist, I realized, wow, this is the reason why it's really hard to get a, a word edgewise in um, the three people in my nuclear family that I was, you know, uh, raised with from birth to like, um, you know, 17, we were all together. My brother launched off earlier to college. He's three years older than me. Um, but practically we're all together. So I go, Hmm, this is the reason why I am who I am, you know? Yeah. I am also, um, the youngest and I have an older sister who is three years older than me. Um, but a lot of times people think I'm the eldest because I have, um, I know we don't use the word bossy anymore, but (laughs) (laughs) who doesn't use the word bossy? I use the word bossy. (laughs) But the truth is the truth. I have a bit of a bossy personality. So people always assume um, I'm the oldest. And my sister has a more um, a gentler, more reserved personality. So um, yeah. So I, yeah, seeing my kids though, you know, I have 
two kids and I, I think about how my younger son has always been like in strife because he's always like struggling with his older sister. Aww. So birth order is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so we're talking a bit about, you know, our own identities, um, and how, you know, our kids' identities and how we parent. And so a question for all of us is when did you first realize your ethnic identity? So for you, Celia, as a Chinese American, um, and how does that impact or shape your parenting? So even though I immigrated to the U.S. when I was two, um, until I started kindergarten, I really only interacted with my parents, my brother, and extended family who only spoke in Chinese. And so when I started kindergarten, it was a shock that I couldn't be understood um, and I didn't understand what was happening um, in the classroom. Um, I just have vivid um, kind of memories of not understanding the teacher. Um, and that was my first um, recollection of just being different. Um, I don't know if I understood so much that I was Asian at that point. Um, it wasn't really until I was in middle school when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, I, I, um, I was in seventh grade and I was at a middle school and I was one of five Asian kids. Oh, wow. That was mm -hmm. just a rude awakening that I was really different and I was Asian and I got called lots of Asian slurs. And I think mm. that was the very first time mm. I realized that, wow, this is what it means to be Asian. Um, mm. And people all around me were really different. Um, and yeah, so that was my first, um, you know, most vivid kind of recollection of realizing I was Asian. Um, yeah. And how has that, how has being Asian or being Chinese American impacted or shaped your parenting? Um, I think it's absolutely shaped my parenting. I think growing up in a Chinese family, um, and I think also just coupled with being immigrants, I have some tiger mom tendencies. Mm, like I some, think, just some. Just some. <laughs> <laughs> And you wouldn't call them baby tigers. You would call them full-grown tigers. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, well, I say some, you know, um, <laughs> because um, because I don't think I'm that hardcore. Um, in terms what? Of <laughs> tiger mom. <laughs> Sorry. Right. It's all it's coming relative. out. It's all coming out. It's all, it's all relative. It's all relative. Um, I have really high expectations of my children, um, you know, how they do academically, how they behave, you know, are they kind and respectful to their elders? Yes. Um, yeah. you know, they, they need to learn and master multiple musical instruments. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have to be, you know, responsible and do all of their chores and they have lots of chores. Um, and I, I, I say, you know, um, it's relative because I guess I know some really hardcore tiger parents out there. And so maybe it's all relative because I compare myself to them and maybe mm. not to 
the baby tiger parents. <laughs> How about yeah. you, Cheryl? Um, I really like this question because I feel like I can't really, I kind of want to flip it on its head, right? I grew up in a very homogenous Filipino and Filipino American community, uh, very similar. Like uh, my parents were immigrants here to Daly City, right? To San Francisco Bay Area. And my early years were in Daly City. So I went, plus I went to Catholic school. So I was just like swimming in sort of this Filipino Catholic majority. And my parents really, you know, they're, they're into, they, they had white collar jobs working for the government, um, but their friends who we socialized with, who we went to church with, in those spaces, it was mostly Filipino. So it, for me, it was sort of like uh, this, it's just who I was because everybody around me sort of knew what it meant. And I didn't really have to stick. I didn't stick out. Um, I think the question for me is like, when, when did I realize Filipinos come in all different shapes and sizes and everybody around me who is not Filipino, or even if they were sort of made assumptions of who I was, even though I declared I'm Filipino. Like, so like this whole idea of like, I go to the store and someone says, oh, you're Filipino. They're like, really? Because you don't look Filipino. And so that was my steal of like, or stick or whatever, where I had it more of an issue of why don't I look Filipino? Am I not light enough, brown enough? Do I have not rod eyes enough? You know, sort of that kind of deal. Um, so I think it was, it was really, I awakening experience for me um, to realize even within um, the different Asian groups, we all can make assumptions about who we were by our phenotype, right? How we presented in the world. Um, but when I moved to San Mateo, I, I continued my journey in Catholic school. Uh, I did remember an incident in middle school where someone was like making fun of me and, and my tag was sticking out of my you know, uniform sweater. And one kid who was Latino said to me, oh, your, your tag looks, says made in Taiwan in this way where it was more than just your, your sweater was made in Taiwan. Then they were like laughing and I go, oh, it was probably made in Taiwan, but are they really talking about me? You know? Mm -hmm. um, so I sort of realized um, it was the thing to be made fun of, right? Uh, probably around fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and my ethnic identity impacted my parenting. Um, I think, it, I think more about um, the values that I was raised with, which is a mix of, I think, you know, Im Im you know, kind of typical, Filipino immigrants, um, sort of this, it's hard <laughs> when you introduce yourself, Celia, as second gen, I feel like, oh, I, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that because sometimes there's so much different definitions of what generations, right? How do I, especially Asians, how do I identify? Because when I first, um, when people ask me, oh, what generation? I used to say first generation, I used to say that. And then I realized hmm, maybe my, because my, my parents were the immigrant generation, so I'm first gen. But sometimes people think 
first gen should be the immigrants and the second second gen should be the children born here in America. So now I say first born, first American born, or I can't say that. Gosh, I'm going to go on a tangent right now, but I think there is a particular um, theme for first born, first American born generations of this bridge of you have experienced like immigrant parents who are, uh, you know, much closer to the homeland than I could ever be. But then I had this experience of being born, raised and socialized in America. So I have so much more of context to share with my children, right? And so I think that experience, it could be a very similar experience. You don't have to be Filipino to resonate with that experience, right? It's a very, that, that to me is kind of like the crux of how it impacts my parenting. Um, like, is it old school immigrant kind of way? It's a little bit of old school immigrant. It's a little bit of, of American kind of, you know, Western culture kind of way. It's a little bit of like Asian American identity politics going on. So uh, it's hard to pinpoint exactly how my Filipino American identity in, in, in because it, it's such a mixed bag, mixed bag. Sorry, I can't talk tonight. Um, so yeah, a long-winded answer to say uh, it's it's really hard to figure out. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, um, I have a similar story to you, Celia. Where I think in kindergarten, I realized like, oh, I, I'm living in like two very different worlds. Um, because I had an older sister and we spoke English together at home, like language wise, um, I understood what was going on, but it was sort of a step away from mostly spending time with my nuclear family and their world. Um, so I think that's when, and, and it's kind of interesting. I feel like a lot of us, I mean, all of us have these experiences rooted in sort of like differentness or maybe even shame or, or mm-hmm. yeah, that's connected to understanding our ethnic identity. So I'm, I'm a little saddened by that. Um, and I think also, you know, when I was growing up, no one knew anything about Korea. It was like, if you're Asian, you're either Chinese or Japanese. And so Mm -hmm. I think I also was aware that I wasn't those things. Like I'm not Chinese, I'm not Japanese, I'm Korean. And so it was sort of like my identity was rooted or shaped by, um, yeah, experiences in being different and experiences in being sort of from a um, sort of small country that people didn't really know much about. I mean, um, and, and then I think like, so just to add a little bit, I think being Korean started to become more associated with like cooler things, um, maybe in middle school when like K-pop started to become Mm. popular and stuff like that. So it's, it's been an an interesting sort of journey. Um, and I would say, I, I feel like I relate to both of you. I, I have some, you know, my parents also are immigrants. And so I feel like respect for elders and sort of Mm -hmm. a blind obedience were very high values and that are sort of embedded in me. And I don't necessarily raise my kids with those values as being primary, but I notice that sometimes when they really don't listen to me or have a hard time kind of being obedient, like 
there's it triggers something in me that I think is rooted to mm-hmm. like how I was raised. And so I'd, I have this sort of expectation that children should be obedient to their elders, mm-hmm. but I'm not really raising my kids necessarily to abide by that. But so there's a little bit of a tension sometimes I yeah. realize in some values that I grew up with and that I don't necessarily hold, but they're still kind of like shape my perspective or our triggers for when I get frustrated at my kids. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's all those different, like cultural, not faux pas, but I always think about the movie joy look club when <laughs> the soy sauce. <laughs> yeah. Or like, or like who gets the first, who gets to eat first, you know, like, yes. you know, like all those different things. And there's a little bit of that in Filipino culture too, you know, uh, you really revere uh, the elderly. You let them go eat first. You you like make sure that they're comfortable. You know all those kind of things, which which I really love too. Um, and it's 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 not it's like kind of hard. We kind of loosey goosey about it these days. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not Celia. <laughs> not in my household. No. <laughs> well also the grandparents too like um my mom is usually the last one to eat because she's always preparing food right so it's sort of like right yeah uh, it's it's not as uh reinforced in this strict way anymore Mm -hmm. um if anything my mom's like oh let the kids eat they're always so hungry first Mm -hmm. you know well um Celia can you tell us about a learning experience in your journey of par- parenting Asian American sons, particularly, well, y- you just have sons. So, um, <laughs> sorry, it's sort of this sort of running joke in our family because <laughs> Celia has three, three boys. I have two boys and my mom has five grandchildren, grandsons. So really when we're all together, the ladies are just myself, Celia and my mom. And, um, and on the last Mother's Day, we got to sit all together, which was kind of a nice experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it was planned that way. They're like, oh, all the mothers get to sit by themselves. It was, it was, don't uh, ask them for anything. We yeah, just ignored was, all the requests. It was all the mothers <laughs> and all the children had to sit with the dads. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, when I was thinking about this um, particular question, I think what kind of came to mind was maybe like a recent learning experience that I've had. And I think that, um, I think that's, that's, um, kind of connected to, um, what I've been doing at work. And so a book that I've been reading, um, through work, it's, it's a book called self-driven child, and it's all about children having agency, um, in schools, but just in life. Mm -hmm. And, um, adults or teachers um, really giving um, children more opportunities for choice, um, decision making, um, for them to really learn how to be responsible um, and have ownership over the decisions that they make in their lives. And um, this is a book that I've read just this year, and I've only, you know, read three or four chapters. But um, as I read this book. Um, the different vignettes um, reminded me a lot about my own children and how I Mm. raised them Mm -hmm. and all the things, the pitfalls of what many parents do. They control a lot of um, 
kind of the decisions that happen for their children. They want to ensure their children are set up for success. Therefore, they don't allow their children to fail. They make all the decisions kind of for them to ensure that they have a successful kind of childhood so that they would have a successful future. And so I think it just kind of hit me in a really big way that I shouldn't be doing these things. Um, and that's why I think, um, you know, Cheryl, I was saying that I had these tendencies to be a tiger mom, but I feel like I've been a lot more relaxed. Mm-hmm. You might not know that, but um, in the last like several months, I feel like I have, um, you know, realized that I, I don't want to um, parent my boys in this way, but I want mm-hmm. to give them more, more opportunities to make decisions for themselves. Um, so much so that, you know, my second son who really dislikes playing the piano, um, uh, and I've shared this with my, all my boys, like, Hey, you know, something that I want to start doing more in your life is I want to allow you to make more decisions. And I want to give you all the facts, the pros and cons, and I trust you to kind of make these decisions. And his response was, so can I quit piano? (laughs) (laughs) Let's put that into play right now. Well, yay. Um, and so I did say, maybe. Um, and so, <laughs> so we are going to have a conversation, you know, with my second son soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to share with them, like, why we want him to play the piano, um, what, what value there might be in him getting really good at an instrument, the pros and cons. I want to hear from him, you know, why he doesn't want to play the piano. And ultimately, I think he can decide, you know, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. I want him to kind of decide. I think the same goes with my oldest son, you know, letting go of um, his, his future. I mean, he's, he's going to be a senior really soon and he's going to college really soon. And I can't, you know, be the one making, um, helping him to kind of make these decisions for his, um, his school and his studies that will support him to get to a good college. It's, it's, it's his life. And he has to mm-hmm. kind of make those decisions. And so I feel like that's a, it's, um, it's something I'm learning still. I'm still kind of in this process um, of embracing kind of that um, perspective on parenting that I want to adopt, but it's really hard. Um, it kills yeah. me every time, you know, they kind of throw it back in my face. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. mom, I thought you said I didn't have to. Um, you know, last week, my boys, my two younger boys had a middle school dance. <laughs> it's their very first middle school dance. And I really wanted them to go. And I kept saying, you really need to go. And their response was, are you forcing us? I thought you wouldn't force us. I thought you would let us make our own decisions. Um, ultimately, they went. I won't, mm-hmm. I won't tell you whether or not I forced them or not. Um, but they did go to the dance. I'll just ask um, them when I see them next weekend. <laughs> um, so it is, it's hard to kind of let go yeah. of these tendencies because I think it's, it's a good opportunity for you to learn and grow and to kind of learn these social skills of interacting with people in the social setting. And, um, you should try it once at least before you say no. So I think I have a lot of reasons for maybe the ways that I, I parent the way that I do, but I am learning more about just not, um, you know controlling kind of their lives Mm -hmm. and just giving them, um, the opportunity to come make these decisions on their own. Yeah. The process of letting go, is just a lesson that parents make over and over Mm -hmm. again, and it's not going to end. Um, if we have the privilege to see them be launched in the world, 
maybe partner up, maybe even have some children. Um, hopefully at that point, we'll be very experienced in listening, letting go, and just sort of giving our two cents when asked and invited, right? Yeah. Celia, earlier, you know, as I mentioned, like our experiences in learning about our identity as Asian American women, um, there were some like rough edges. And I'm kind of wondering for your sons, like, are they pretty proud of being Chinese Filipino? Um, have there been struggles at all with them, like um, embracing their ethnic identity, being proud of it, feeling rooted in it? I'm just kind of curious how that's mm. been for for your boys. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that living in the Bay Area, my boys live in this bubble. You know, I think that being Asian American is not um, something that they have ever seen as a deficit mm -hmm. or something that they're embarrassed about. Um, if anything, it's, it's, it's almost like the norm for them. You know, I think they have gone to this Mandarin immersion school um, and many of their closest friends are um, Asian Americans or, you know, half Papa, half, half, half Asian, half white, or half, you know, another ethnicity. Um, and so I think they see it as like the norm where it's, um, they, they're really proud of, you know, their, their ability to speak this language. They're really proud of the foods that represent kind of the spectrum of the Asian culture. I mean, I, I think they would say that's like their favorite, you know, the favorite foods are Asian foods. Um, and so I think my boys are pretty proud of being Asian um, and Asian American. Mm -hmm. Talking about sons, uh, I guess I did it. Well, maybe I should have expected to have just two boys and not have a girl, like not have one of each um, because there's, I was, because of my nephews who I felt like I third parented <laughs> at a certain point. Um, I, in terms of like their identity, like how my parent has impacted their identity, I feel like they are also very proud of being Filipino, like, um, and they have probably the opposite experience of what you're, you're, you're sharing, Celia, um, you know, having the kids grow, go to school in the Fruitvale, um, they're not the only Asian kids and they're not the only Filipino kids, but they are the very small minority, like a small minority, you know? So most of their, uh, it's, it's probably like a, a 99% uh, folks of color, I would say 70% Latinx, um, Asians maybe like less than 10%. So I think I, I have to balance that out with like, um, you know, learning at home what it means to be Filipino, doing a little bit of textbook reading about, you know, different community heroes in our time. And, um, and I think it's making a positive difference because, you know, everywhere they go, even to this, they're at camp this week. And then my, my son goes, oh, mom, in my class, there's a Filipino kid. I said, all right, all right. <laughs> and I didn't like do the whole, are you friends with them? Do you want to talk to them? You know, like, you know, like uh, I didn't make a big deal out of it, but I think they realize, I don't know if they're saying it to me just to please me um, or it could just be sharing about their day. 
Um, but I like hearing it because I feel like um, the fact that he knew there must have been a conversation of what it like, oh, uh, you know, what ethnicity you are, you know, things like that, that he was able to affirm that. Like, um, so it it is um, it is something I'm really proud of. Uh, proud of it's it's something I when I grew up, I not I took for granted, but there were no intentional conversations right um, at my dinner table about really what it meant to be Filipino what it meant to be Filipino in the Bay Area and in the context of our of our world and our nation, right? Um, but I feel like I'm having more of those conversations because um, my kids are not immersed in that sort of culture, either at school, um, at home in our family. Uh, my my uh, sister-in-law, my, my husband's uh, wife's family is also, you know, part Filipino, part Chinese. So we do get to experience that in both sides. Um, but it's not the same, of course, as, as when, how we grew up. And I think I'm always struck with generational change, right? This idea of my parents' experience is vastly different than mine, which is, rings true in, for, I I used to think, oh, my experience can be closer to maybe my kids' experience because we're both in America, but I do, but I thinking, no, I think they're going to be vastly different too. And so I think I'm just trying to um, kind of celebrate that and, and accept it. Like, wow, we're just really going to have different, different experiences and different experiences of how we are Filipino and my kids who are also part Chinese. Uh, what is that going to be like for them? You know, even in this time too. So um, I sit with that a lot and I appreciate, like Celia was saying, we do live in this like little bubble where um, our ethnic identity, our roots are just so celebrated and affirmed by the educators that I've, uh, uh, you know, uh, that my kids have had, the school community, you know, in a different way than uh, I was raised, Mm -hmm. right? Very true. Yeah, you know, my son is, he just turned four. um, So I was yeah, really curious to hear from both of you because you have sons that are a little bit older. But I, I do have to admit that I have some kind of fears about, you know, he will likely go to a Spanish immersion school where he'll be one of the very few um, Asian American kids there. And so, you know, I grew up in schools that were like a quarter Asian. So there were enough of us where there were like, there wasn't like a singular stereotype. It was, there were the cool Asians and the nerdy Asians and the, you know, there were just all sorts of Asians. Right. And when you're one of very few, I, I feel like I have, it's a little bit unknown to me. Um, so I do feel like I have some fears about what Mm. that experience will be like for him. Um, he will have a lot of Asian American people in his like outside of school life, but not necessarily in his school life. And um, last week on the podcast, my husband shared about how one of my daughter's classmates asked my husband if my son was um, Chino, (laughs) you know, like obviously like, you know, very (laughs) innocently, but it was like that kind of stuff hasn't really happened with my daughter where people are like Chinita Mm. or anything like that. And so it's like, um, 
yeah, I'm just sort of, I think I do have a little bit of, um, like anticipatory anxiety Mm -hmm. around like Mm -hmm. what it's going to be like, but like you were saying, Cheryl, I think we, we do try to talk a lot about being Korean, having pride in it. I do think like, you know, educators are really good about, um, affirming that in, in kids too. So it is a different type of era, but yeah, I do have some, you know, and I think the other thing I realized is my, my son has a white father and he sees a lot of, um, you know, I, I was sometimes like, oh my gosh, do I have to show him Shang-Chi nonstop or something in terms of like positive role models? Like, um, yeah, I mean, actually I'm curious, like who are the positive, like Asian American male role models that your sons look up to? For both like celebrities them? or? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Like in the media? Of- sort of yeah more mainstream I don't know if my children have that many mainstream Jeremy Lin <laughs> it's like 10 years ago no, is, it still, is it still Jeremy <laughs> Lin Bruno Mars uh, Simu Simu yeah Shang-Chi yeah um no, I don't think they really have that many Asian Americans, at least not like in pop culture mm, that they're looking yeah. up to. Mm. John yeah. Cho, he just wrote a book, a graphic novel, John Cho. <laughs> um, I mean, as you know, I, I love BTS. And so my son <laughs> by default also loves BTS. Yeah, my kids are not fun. into BTS. <laughs> no. Teenage boys, no, they're not into BTS. <laughs> But it is sort of, you know, think about our childhood, right? Like that you would ever imagine that the biggest pop band in the world would be Asian Mm -hmm. men. Sarah just wants the excuse to mention BTS at every (laughs) podcast recording. That's just (laughs) primarily why she asked this question. Get that in there, Sarah. Yeah, can we just uh, talk all about BTS for the rest of this episode? I'm just kidding. Well, one thing I wanted to, the social worker in me, um, Sarah, wants to um, maybe uh, speak to that fear, you know, that your son, you know, um, you know, I read many research articles that say if you have this sense, strong sense of your identity, ethnic, racial, cultural identity, or however you would define it, it does provide some resilience, you know? Mm-hmm. So I always think about that. Like if our, our, our children have this healthy sense of who they are, this rootedness, it will, it will like serve them well along their journey. Mm-hmm. Right. And it will be a way for them to protect themselves. They call it a protective factor in that kind of language. Um, and I think, I think it's true, mm-hmm. right. There's something really, um, not internal, but something inside you that along with other things, of course, that are protective factors that yeah. will really make them feel grounded to something mm-hmm. and some, some, some place or family in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, we've talked a little bit about this, but wondering what is one thing you are doing as a mother to sons that's different from how you were raised and what is something that is the same? 
Um, so growing up in a Chinese family, we weren't very lovey-dovey. I didn't get a lot of affirmation, um, verbal affection or physical affection. That's just not what my parents did. I think they showed me love in different ways, but not in those ways. Um, and so with my own children, I think it's been really important to me that my children um, receive love from me in those ways. Mm -hmm. um, like I show a lot of physical affection to my children. Um, I lavish them with like verbal affection, affirmation um, on a daily basis. I think they get tired of me saying, <laughs> I love you. I mean, I say a lot to them mm -hmm. multiple times a day. And so I just think that it's really, um, I don't want them to ever question mm -hmm. whether or not yeah. I love them ever. Um, and so I, I probably go the extreme um, and I, I probably just do it too much. Um, so that's something that I do that I didn't, um, that my parents didn't do uh, when I grew up. Um, and something that I do do that I think um, I've appreciated from my family, um, I think it has to do with just um, raising us um, in a family where there was an expectation to continue traditions, um, Chinese mm -hmm. traditions and Chinese language, um, Chinese foods, you know, um, in our family. I think that was, I mean, I, to this day still, when I go back and see my parents, I still speak to them in Chinese and all we eat at home is Chinese food. And every time we go out, it's always Chinese food. Um, and so something that I think I, have done with my own children, um, although it's a little bit hard at times, is I think I, I want them to continue, um, you know, um, speaking um, in Chinese. I think it's a gift that I've been able to give them in a roundabout way, um, more, um, more since they've gone to school, um, they've been able to kind of learn that language, um, but also just continuing in, you know, some very um, Chinese, like um, very Chinese kind of traditions and holidays, you know, with the foods that we eat um, during Lunar New Year or Chinese, Chinese New Year. Um, and, and so I think those things are really important to me because I think mm -hmm. they, um, th there are things that I, I still remember to this day um, that I grew up with, um, with my parents. Yeah, I could attest the, to the affection between Celia and her boys, um, especially with the youngest one. Yeah, the youngest one is going to be is going to be tw twelve wow. this year, Very right? Yeah. yeah, and he still sits in his mommy's lap, <laughs> and and uh, and my oldest, who's ten years old, who really really looks up to his older cousin, uh, always says. Mommy, I'm going to sit in your lap. I go, oh, I'm like, you're, you're so big now. You're so heavy. And he goes, it's okay. Well, cousin sits on Tita's lap all the time and he's <laughs> older than me. So um, I do, I do appreciate that. And, um, you know, my, my husband is the godfather of, of that, uh, of, of the youngest, Cecilia's youngest. And um, 
you know, my husband's very affectionate. So I go, oh, it's just a match made in heaven. They could just <laughs> hug, hugged all day long. <laughs> How about you, Sarah? What do you, have you have any thoughts on this question? Yeah, I think um, my parents weren't particularly playful with us. Like, I don't think they kind of sought to, like, I never played with my dad. Um, and my mom would read or like play games sometimes, but overall, like I, I wouldn't say like they had a, like a playful parenting style. And so, um, I think that's something I'm trying to do that's different than how I was raised to be a sort of like a playful presence in their life. Um, and it sort of, it brings me joy. Like, I, I don't think I naturally want to be playful, but when I get into it, I'm like, you know, it taps into like a, like my inner child. And so, um, yeah, it's nice to have an invitation to do that with my kids. Um, and in terms of things I would do the same, I think, um, I would describe my mom as pretty maternal and, um, like a caregiver and, um, and I, I want to continue sort of that, um, style of parenting as well, like to be mm-hmm. a source of comfort and f- to feel like home and a safe space for my kids. So yeah. yeah um, hoping that I can kind of continue um, that, that sort of value in, yeah. in how I parent. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think um, one difference is that I don't think we I was um, raised or invited to express my feelings, especially feelings of contradiction or disagreement, Mm. right? I think Celia hit the nail on the head where it's sort of this obedience, right? Or what you you said, obedience, right? To parents or the older generation. And I think we've allowed that. My husband and I have allowed really room for expression and not demanding answers right away, right? Um, you know, I, my oldest is um, takes time to think about, you know, when he gets reprimanded or he gets, kind of gets in trouble, he really takes it in. And it, we've learned that, you know, maybe the day after or a couple, a couple of hour after, hours after, like maybe a confrontation or whatever, um, he's able to talk more. So I think it's just like, Um, first of all, I'm always amazed that he could express his feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. and then actually feel comfortable to approach me to be like, mommy, can you talk right now? And can I tell you when you said this, it made me feel that. And do you think we can do this a little differently? Oh, wow. You know, things like that. And I was like, I want to be like, uh, really present to that when I'm not, when I'm like not as dysregulated or super angry or frustrated, um, and for me to say, to, to, to show my, um, sort of my humanity and like, I'm not perfect. I mm-hmm. tend to apologize when I'm, when I respond to them, like when I'm really irritated or I'm rushed, I'll apologize for acting that way or acting out. And cause I don't want to, to think that it's all on them. You know, sometimes we have a, you know, humans have a tendency to just act out on people for whatever reason. Right. So I think that's also different too. I didn't see my father say, sorry, you know, (laughs) um, I can maybe count it on like in my handful of times, you know, 
usually I have to say, dad, can you say sorry about this? You know? Um, so I think that's, that's just, I don't know if it's identity or whatever. I, I just feel like no matter what, it's such a, no matter what culture you come from, it's such an important thing to be able to have that kind of open relationship or communication, right? Mm -hmm. That's not about hierarchy or, or generation, you know, it's not about power who has power over the others, but really about what does it mean to remain connected emotionally and relationally to your, to your child, right? In the heart sense. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. Um, one thing is the same, I would say family, like um, we have the fortunate circumstance to live close by to Celia and my nephews and to live close by, by, by my nieces on uh, my husband's side. And so, you know, uh, a handful of times a month, we get together with both sides, sometimes even on the same day, right? We'll have uh, lunch with Celia's family and we'll have dinner with James's family. And so I really impart on my children of like, this is so, you are so lucky. This is the part of me where I get maybe old school Asian. You are so lucky <laughs> to have, you know, sometimes I like, I feel like I hear my mom and my dad, you know, to have both all four of your grandparents alive and well to take care of you, like all those things, you know? Um, and I think it has sunk in where um, my kids, you know, the first people they want to be with, it's like, are the cousins free for a sleepover? Can so-and-so come over for a play date? Are we going on vacation together? It's like, my, my kids will be in tears out of joy Aww. because we have so much family time and he will be in tears uh, when we end our vacation He'll be in tears like, oh, so happy to be all together. I just love it. <laughs> so I think um, just, I guess my hope is that those relationships will last beyond our generation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's one thing. Definitely my parents have imparted on me and my brother. And I think Celia is part of, part of that, you know, um, uh, just kind of commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of our last questions is for, for all of us is what are some of the things we love about our boys? And then what is one thing that you'd like to impart to them as Asian American um, boys, you know, young men as they go off in the world? Um, so I'll just name something I love about each of my boys. Um, so for my eldest, um, he's, he's very talented musically. Um, he plays the piano and I think I've just grown to really appreciate um, his um, ability to play in such a way that where he's able to communicate um, kind of his emotions um, so if you kind of watch him during a performance, you can see kind of the emotion that is behind the playing. And, um, and I've never, you know, I don't remember ever asking him to practice the piano. So he's done it, you know, totally willingly. It's not the tiger mom that has developed <laughs> this child who plays so well at all. It's, it's all him, mm -hmm. um, you know, for my second son, um, I think he, what I love about him is that he, when he really is into something, he is really passionate about it and he's, he's all in. So he loves to play soccer. He is put, he's been playing for many years now. 
Um, and he, he's so sad when he misses a practice, even when it's cold and raining and dark outside, he's so, so, so sad when he misses a practice. Um, and he's really, you know, also passionate about the Warriors, you know, mm-hmm. more recently they've been playing um, in the championships. And so he, he's, he cries, you know, when <laughs> they lose, um, but he is ecstatic, ecstatic, you know, when they win. So I love that about him. And then my, my third son, um, you know, Cheryl alluded to this is that he is super affectionate and super sweet. Um, and I can't believe he's going to be 12. Yeah. Um, but he still is still so loving, um, and kind of really in touch with his emotions and able to really be really vulnerable with kind of his emotions. And so, um, so I just, I love that about him. I love that he, in as much as I say, I love you to him. He says it probably just as much, Mm. you know, back to me on a daily basis. So I love that about him. Um, and then the, the other part of the question I think was, um, what do I hope to impart? Um, I think that, you know, share, uh, I think Sarah, you were asking us a little bit earlier, just, you know, whether or not, um, our children have a sense of pride in kind of who they are and their identity. And I think that this is something that I think they have this now. And, um, and I want to continue to, um, develop this sense of pride um, in knowing who they are and being proud of who they are because they're not going to live in this bubble forever, right? They're going to, you know, who knows where my son is going to go to college. I mean, if you plop him in the middle of Texas, you know, or, or, or Kansas, you know, is he going to be okay um, when he's one of few? that are like him. And so I, I just really hope um, that everything that we were doing now really um, helps to develop their sense of self um, so that they can, when they encounter anything, they're gonna be okay. You know, um, you know the, that research study that, you know, research studies that you were sharing about Cheryl, I hope that, I hope that that's true for them, that they will be fine wherever they are because they have a strong sense of who they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, um, we'll go in order. So Celia has three boys. I have two. Sarah has one. Um, <laughs> I, my oldest, I shared a lot about him today. He's just been on my heart. Um, I, I love his, his level of intensity at times. Um, he is very, competitive in games his favorite partner in any game is um yours truly Celia Tita Celia (laughs) (laughs) you were like okay who's gonna be a partner well it's Tita Celia of course um so I appreciate about that him because I am totally not like that you know sometimes you get to appreciate something that you're not because I'm not competitive um I'm a little bit perfectionistic but definitely not competitive in terms of games So I appreciate about him. And, you know, I feel like he's a big thinker. Like he, he, I think it already invites my opinion. He, the other day he says, mommy, I've been thinking about these professions. What do you, what do you think? You know, like, do you think I should be a doctor, an engineer, do something around writing or video games? And so the fact that he's coming to me, I really like that um, about him. Um, My youngest 
Um, I appreciate his love for older people, <laughs> particularly Lola. Like he's, he's Lola is still his, her, his favorite person. And he just, um, I think that's just a quality because he, he's really, he, he could, he's, he, he, could, he like, he, he's really well, like in different age groups, you know, he's really good with the little kids. He's really good with old people. So I think he's really flexible in that way. So I really, he's very social. Like even today at line going to camp, there was like two kids who said hello to him. Kids, I know, have no idea who they are, um, but they're like, Hey, Hey. And so I'm like, Oh, I think he's just a friendly little boy. Um, so, um, two things I love about my son. One is that, um, he's funny. And the other is that he's very sweet. And I think that, um, especially the sweetness part, like I would love for that to remain a core like trait of his, because I feel as though, um, you know, it gets kind of stamped out of, of young boys as they become men. And there's a pressure to mask emotions and mask like tenderness. And so I really hope that that's something that he continues to carry. And, um, yeah, I think a sense of pride and self-love and, um, not having shame around, um, Mm -hmm. who he is a lot of, um, grace toward himself and acceptance. Um, I would love to sort of see him develop into, to that kind of person. Yeah. That has those traits. Cause I, I do think having that will take him a long way. And it's sort of funny. Like we joke around about how for our daughter, we have these sort of more, um, kind of like mainstream expectations. Like, Oh, she's gonna, like, she's very, she seems pretty driven. So we always joke that she's going to be some tech CEO, before our son, we're like, you know, he'd be a great social worker, <laughs> you know, like Aww. something where like, I think we just want him to be a good man. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's really kind of what I wish for him. So Cheryl going back. Yeah. To you. Okay. I got it. Um, it's a little bit selfish, um, but it goes back to Sarah. You're talking a little bit about uh, what it means to be a caretaker. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I do have this fear. I'll talk about my fears now. And so hopefully, hopefully you could like help me with this. I have a fear that uh, as I get older, who will help take care of me if something needs to be, needs to be taken care of. So, um, so I, I, I hope that um, them being surrounded by their cousins, their male cousins who will hopefully take care of so yeah Me. you know yes that they will ha- they will say oh you know um it's really important for me to be a caretaker and support my parents as they get older um so that's just a little bit of fear of mine um and um and i do see that already that um you know it's a very unique situation on my side to grow up with like, you know, Celia's and my boys are like literally like two years apart, you know? So, um, and definitely me, Celia and my mom are sort of the organizers in our family. We kind of plan it out, execute it. And they know that they, they see us as sort of taking charge in that way. So I think hopefully out of 
uh, indebtedness. Ooh, that's also an Asian <laughs> quality. <laughs> but like, you know, um, loving indebtedness, they will be able to think about, um, they will choose partners who also have that same value, right? Because, you know, if they decide to partner up and to to think about what it really means to um, honor, honor uh, not only me, but just sort of the values that we want to impart to them. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, our closing segment um, is sort of a fun one. And we ask our guests, um, you know, usually two questions. And for tonight's questions, um, you know, the first question is, what is your Asian mom superpower? This is just for Celia. And the second question is, what was a really nourishing practice for you this year? Um, So I think that Asian moms are amazing and they could do a zillion things at one time. Um, <laughs> literally they can, they, you know, um, and so the image that I actually had was of, um, you know, those Chinese acrobats, <laughs> the Chinese, um, plate spinning, you know, how yeah. they have those sticks and they have like so many plates spinning and I'm always in awe of how they do that. But I think Asian moms can do that. You know, they're doing so many things, you know, not only are they taking care of children, but they're also, um, you know, cooking a full meal, um, planning for a party, packing for camping, you know, doing the bills, like they're doing all of it all at once. And so I think that's something that I feel like I have done a lot of, um, is just keeping all these plates afloat. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes a couple of them fall, but you know, I feel like <laughs> I try not to let them fall too much um, or too often. Um, but yeah, I would say that that's my superpower, Chinese plate spinning. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to add, she's an excellent spreadsheet maker. Oh my gosh. This lady can make Google Sheets so amazing. Oh, now I'm curious. Oh yeah. Even down to when we have to break down our finances. Even, even my father, her, her father-in-law are like, who was an accountant is like, excellent job, Celia. Excellent job. So bravo, bravo. She's amazing. And I think that's just one uh, aspect of what she's talking about to be like the organizational, like greatness that she has. So I affirm that. Thanks. Thanks, Cheryl. And uh, so what has been a really nourishing practice for you this year? Um, so recognizing that we are in a drought, um, I feel a sense of guilt, um, in this practice of taking baths, Mm. um, it, it, it helps me, um, mind, body, soul. It just helps me to slow down. It helps me to decompress, um, to just allow my mind to wander um, and not go, you know, hundred miles per hour. And so that's one of the luxuries that I feel like I've been able to kind of have um, this last year, especially, um, and it is a, a very guilty ple- pleasure because I, I do recognize that we are in a drought right now in California. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you ever use the water for anything else? Um, no, because it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's not like you could bring all the dishes there just to like do. 
can't. <laughs> it's a lot of water care downstairs because all of our plants are downstairs. Oh, you can't like siphon it down there, like through some, you know. Yeah. You should um, make it a like an engineering project for your sons yeah. to figure out how to siphon. You could use it to like wash water. your car. Yeah, like gray water. Like that would be awesome. Like buckets. To wash Can your car, gray water to wash the car. I guess the first, the first wash, the first again, one, not yeah. the final wash. Yeah, yeah, but it's okay. We won't tell anyone about. Yeah. All right, just don't play this publicly for anybody. <laughs> well, we only have we have a we a won't very- send it to like the water district or anything like that. <laughs> Evie Mud. Um, well, thank you everyone for sharing your thoughts. I think this was a really rich conversation and. Um, I look forward to learning more from both of you as your son sort of paved the way and thank you all for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was fun to be here. Take care and don't forget to call your mom.